Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you can be our vision. You're the ruler of all. We thank you for that. Father, we thank you for the fact that you sent your son to die in our place. We're so grateful for that. We give you all the praise and glory. We thank you for teaching us in your word as well. Father, I pray that you be with us now as we look at your word. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. And that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear this morning. As we look at encounter with Peter and the restoration of Peter, we thank you for that. Father, pray as we leave this place that we won't just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, Christ Church. As you see on your service sheet, we are in our series, 24 Hours That Changed the World. It's a wonderful series as we look at the various encounters leading up to Christ's death. And resurrection. It's great for us as we look forward to Easter as well. Holy Week, Monday, Thursday, as we do the Living Last Supper right here and celebrate communion. Good Friday, our noon to three service, where we look at the seven last words of Christ. And then the Sunday morning, our Easter service. As John mentioned, we're having two services because we're out of room over in Wilson Hall, so we're going to bring those folks in here. So uh, we'll be talking more about that. The 9 o'clock will be more of a traditional style. The 11.15 will be more of a contemporary style for that Sunday as we celebrate Christ's resurrection. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at various encounters leading up to Christ's death and resurrection. As we have already been read the scripture this morning, we look at that encounter of Peter. Peter denying Christ. You know, it's interesting, we had the opportunity, we've been sharing this uh, uh, lately, as we've been in this series, uh, uh, opportunity we had to go to Israel last year, and we actually were able to visit this location. Uh, It says there in your service sheet, Peter was in the courtyard of the high priest. Well, the high priest at the time was Caiaphas, and so right there in Jerusalem, you could go and visit uh, Caiaphas's uh, house. Now it's it's a church. And uh, understand that this church has uh, multi-levels to it, uh, all the way uh, from the top floor, all the way to the bottom floor, where they believe is a dungeon, uh, where Christ was being held and and whipped, and uh, where they they put the crown of thorns on him. And upstairs is where he was on trial. And it was a really great opportunity to to be there uh, in Israel and be really where this place, this happened. What's interesting about the courtyard there uh, in Israel, right there in Jerusalem, at Caiaphas's house, is this statue. There's a statue that's there. Uh, I think it's going to come up. Oh, there is a statue there. And you can see right there in the courtyard, uh, there's a statue, and that's Peter uh, on the bottom. And the three folks that came up and uh, asked him the question, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? And it's hard to see, but at the bottom of that statue, it says, Non novi alum, which is Latin for, I do not know him. And right there in the courtyard, this huge statue, and at the top, if you can see, there's a, there's a rooster. So right there in the courtyard still stands today, it really opens our eyes to the fact that things really did take place. It was amazing, we had the opportunity uh, to preach at... Uh, various locations, Ed Glover, John, and Jamie and I, um, Pastor Jamie and I, we all rotated and had time to preaching there. And there was an amphitheater right by that statue. 
right by this statue, and we read the scripture there of this various encounter. And during the entire time Ed Glover was preaching on that time, guess what we heard in the distance? A rooster. There's roosters all over. So we heard it. But that statue still stands there today. And I remember seeing that statue and thinking, man, I kind of feel bad for Peter. I mean, to think of the time in his life when he denied Christ, people would say that was the failure. And there's the statue for all to see for all eternity. I mean, can you imagine if there was a statue every time we had a failure? People would say, boy, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Jared statues around these parts. Can you imagine a statue there for all to see to remember what happened? The statue's there. I encourage you as we look at this passage today, as we look at what happened, I think we're going to look differently at that that statue. If we ever come across it again, we're going to think differently. Because it's not about Peter's denial, but about the restoration. But we give Peter bad rap, don't we? I mean, we think of Peter and go, man, I can't believe that you had the opportunity. Had the opportunity to confess Christ, to not deny him in front of three different people, but yet you denied him. I think we give Peter a bad rap. Well, before we give him a bad rap, let me encourage you. Peter was there. It says, if you have your Bibles or your service sheets, in verse 66, while Peter was below in the courtyard. It begs the question, where were the other ten disciples? Judas would had already gone out and betrayed Jesus. Peter was there. He went. So before we give him a bad rap, my question for us is, would we have gone? Would we have been there with Jesus, following all the way to the end? Peter was there. But understand that this encounter, this statue, this narrative that we read here, the three times denied, really had been been set up in Peter's life. Peter was laying the groundwork for the denial all the way up to this point. The first first thing that he did, one of the the first steps toward denying Christ, was prayerlessness in the garden. If you remember last week, Pastor Jamie was uh, here preaching about the time of the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus went there to pray, and what did he tell Peter? He said, watch out and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he goes to the garden right after the Lord's Supper. They go to the garden. He's in the garden, and he says, Peter... The other disciples, pray, so you don't fall into temptation. And what does Peter and the disciples do? They fall asleep. Unpreparedness. Secondly, there's an impulsivity at the arrest. What happens, they come to arrest Jesus, and what does Peter do? He takes out a knife. I'm going to take this one on myself. Not Jesus. I'm I'm going to fight to the end. I'm going to do it in my own strength. And he cuts off the servant's ear. And Jesus heals it. But third... And probably more importantly, was overly confident in his own strength. A confidence in himself. He think might have thought that he was already spiritually mature. If you remember Mark 14, just right before this, in verse 29 through 26, the, excuse me, 26, right after the, the Lord's Supper took place up in the upper room, it says in verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, Mark 14, 26, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, 
I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all may fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. I think Peter was prepared. Peter was prepared in the garden for a fight. But he wasn't prepared for when a young servant girl came up and asked him, do you know Jesus? Reminds me of the story, I read a story uh, a little while ago of Bobby Leach. Most of you won't know who Bobby Leach is. He's not really that significant. But Bobby Leach was the first man to go over the Niagara Falls in a barrel. Not the smartest idea. I didn't say he was the smartest man alive, but I just said he was the first guy to do that. Now, there was a woman that did it before, but he wanted to be the first man to go over in a barrel, Niagara Falls. So for months he prepared. For months he was preparing for this this big feat, this big stunt that he was going to do. He uh, figured out which barrel would be the best, what the size should be. He practiced by going over some smaller uh, falls before he went to Niagara Falls. And finally, after months and months of preparation, he gets in the barrel and he's ready to go and he goes over the water. And he survives. He was prepared. He walked away, had some bumps and bruises, but he survived. Ironically, it's not what Bobby Leach did to go over the falls, but how he died. Bobby Leach went over the Niagara Falls and survived, but he died by stepping on an orange peel. You see, he was uh, a few years later, he was in New Zealand. And he wasn't paying attention. He figured everything was safe. He was walking down the road, and he slipped on an orange peel. He fell and broke his leg. His leg got gangrene. His whole body became infected, and he died a few years later. How ironic. How ironic to prepare for something so great, so big, but be so unprepared on the smallest occasion. Peter was ready for that fight in the garden. Peter was ready when they came to arrest Jesus. But not ready when a young servant girl simply asked, do you know him? So what happens? We see this progression there in verse 66. It says, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. When he saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were with that Nazarene, Jesus said. But he denied it. I know. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out into the entryway. But he didn't leave. Then the bystanders came. Verse 69, your service sheets are in Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark 14. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. And again he denied it. And after a little while, those standing near Peter said, Surely you're one of them. Surely you're one of them. You're the Galilean. And he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I do not know this man you're talking about. He lost all sense of reality. All sense of awareness of God. He used the word there to curse. Now, that doesn't mean that he took the Lord's name in vain, but he, he called curses down. It's basically saying, may God kill me if I'm lying right now. Each one got tougher and tougher and tougher. But notice what he said back to Jesus. Even if I die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. Peter was so prepared in the garden for the fight, but he wasn't prepared for the smallest of occasions. Some of us come into church as Christians. We're so prepared to come in and we sing praises. We hear God's word proclaimed. And we have that high as we leave this place and we get in our car and we say, 
you know what, we're going to be world changers. But what happens? We come to the smallest things in our lives, and I've done this too on Monday morning where we have a chance encounter by someone we didn't know. We're sitting next to somebody in a waiting room or somebody on the bus or somebody from work comes to us or another student or another classmate and they ask a question and boom, we're not prepared. We're prepared when we go on missions trips. We're prepared when we go into ministry. We're prepared when we come into church. But are we prepared day in and day out, in season and out of season? It was said that a person's involuntary response to the unexpected is a more reliable indicator of his character than his planned response to a reaction that he anticipates. See, Paul wasn't, excuse me, Peter wasn't prepared. He also trusted in his own self. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 12 speaks volumes to this. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, Paul says, be careful that you don't fall. I think that's why Satan likes to attack us. We feel like we're standing firm, we're standing strong, and then that's when the attack comes, doesn't it? That's why we need to be prepared. That's why we need to spend time in prayer. Not our own strength, trusting in the Lord's strength. But it would be tragic if we left it there. Tragic if that was the end of the story, and that's why that statue stands for all eternity. It would be very, very tragic. You have to understand that this account is in uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's in there. And John. And we find more information as we look at the context through these different Gospels. If you look at Luke 22, verse 60, same encounter. It says, Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. But just as he was speaking, Luke says, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I can only imagine. That's, that's a picture right there. Peter's out there, cold night, warming himself by the fire. Three people come up to him. Each time he denies it, and at that moment, Jesus looks right at him. Don't get this confused. This encounter is nothing, has nothing to do with Peter. It has everything to do with Christ. Christ knew that Peter was going to deny him. He knows the hearts of all people. He knows our hearts as well. Three times the wound stung. Boy, I bet you when Peter, Jesus looked right at Peter, all the other people, I bet, just kind of faded away. There was no servants, no soldiers, no high priests, no other crowd, no bystanders. It was just Peter and Jesus, eyes locked, one on one. Jesus is looking at us today. Eyes locked, one-on-one. I wonder what Jesus, I wonder what his face said. You know, as parents, I can imagine having the look of disappointment. I'm not Jesus, but I can imagine, maybe Jesus looked kind of disappointed. I wonder if Jesus was angry. Or I wonder if Jesus gave Peter one of these. I just told you like three hours ago that this was going to happen. Maybe disappointment. Maybe he shook in his head. Jesus didn't do any of that. You know what Peter saw? Peter saw someone who loved him unconditionally. That's what Peter saw. Because it wasn't about what Peter was doing. It wasn't how Peter was living his life. It was all about what Jesus was going to do for us. 
on the cross. He was there on trial going to the cross for Peter. He looked at Peter and the only thing Peter saw was love in his eyes. This morning I ask you, you're looking right at Jesus. He's looking right at you. And he loves you. It's an interesting account as you look at these encounters throughout the gospel. I find it's interesting too when you look at Matthew's account of this encounter. We have the same encounter in Matthew 26, Peter's denial. But Matthew 27, the very first verse of Matthew 27, is about Judas. Judas, who felt so guilty about what just happened, that he went back and tried to give the money back, and then he went and hung himself. Both of them betrayed, both of them denied. Judas's guilt led him to death. Peter's guilt led him to being restored to Christ. See, some of us look at our lives and go, you know, I've made so many bad decisions, I could never, ever do anything good in life. I could never affirm Christ. I could never be a world changer because of my past. And the guilt just eats at us, eats at us inside forever. Max Lucado tells a, tells a story of a girl named Rebecca Thompson. Rebecca Thompson fell twice from the Fremont Canyon Bridge and died both times. You see, when Rebecca Thompson was a young girl, she asked her sister to go out and play. And then they took a walk while her and her sister were then abducted. They were abused and the abuser took them to this bridge and threw them both off. The younger sister died immediately, but by chance Rebecca fell into some deep water and lived. The problem was is that over the next two decades, Rebecca felt such guilt about the decisions she made that she, could, she, she figured she could never be good for anybody ever again. And it just ate at her. I'm never good. I make bad decisions. Look what I've done. I've killed my sister. I'm a terrible person. So 19 years later, Rebecca Thompson drives herself to the bridge and throws herself off. And that's when it said she fell twice, died both times. The first time broke her heart. The second time broke her neck. Why? Because it's that guilt all around us that we have. Some of us feel so guilty. And I've talked to many of us who feel like, you know, I've made so many bad decisions. I can never be a world changer. I could never uh, accept Christ. I could never stand up for him in the real world. What if they think I'm a fake? What if they think I'm a fraud? And to that I say, that's not fair. That says that Christ's death on the cross wasn't sufficient. He looked right at Peter, and the only thing he saw was love. But the story doesn't end there either. That's what's beautiful about this story. Not only did Jesus look at him, but Jesus comes back and restores Peter. If you read through the gospel here, you know that Jesus went and he died on the cross for us, and then he rose again three days later, and then comes back. He comes back to talk to the disciples. <clears throat> And what happens is in the account of John, Jesus is standing on the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember the encounter, they're out there fishing. They don't catch any fish. And he says, throw your nets on the other side. They throw their nets and they bring in this huge thing of fish. And people, and they recognize that it's Jesus. And what does Peter do? He just grabs his coat and jumps out into the water and starts swimming towards Christ. His guilt led him right back. And it says in verse 15 of John 21, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my lambs. 
And he said again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You see, when Jesus asked Peter, if you love me, he used the word agape love, unconditional, unselfish, all giving love. He says, do you love me unconditionally? More than what you're doing now, more than as a fisherman, more than what your life is, do you love me unconditionally? But Peter's response is he says, yes, Lord, I love you. But he uses the word phileo love, which means a reciprocal, friendly affection. So Jesus asks him again, do you love me? Agape love. Peter responds the same way. The phileo love, the, the friendly affection, feed my lambs. And then Jesus uses Peter's same word, phileo love, the third time. Do you love me? And Peter's grieved. I think that's where Peter got. I think that's where he understood it. Three times reaffirmed, three times denied. You see, Peter, Peter made a mistake. He's, and people do this. We may have sin in our life, and just the recognition of that sin just puts people more into guilt. But when we surrender it to Christ, that's when we can move out of the guilt. That's when we can be restored. The great theologian McLaren says, Jesus doesn't ask, are you sorry? Nor will you promise never to do that again. Jesus Christ asks each one of us, not for obedience primarily, not for vows, not for a conduct, but for a heart. And that being giving, all the rest will follow. Jesus is looking at you this morning and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Despite what you've done in the past, he's looking at you face to face. It's you and Jesus and he's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Oh, I think Peter got it. I think Peter understood it. That's why I think Peter can say with full confidence and assurance what he says in 1 Peter 5. Brings 1 Peter 5 to light in the biggest way ever. Says all of you, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because what? God opposes the proud, shows favor to the humble. Who was proud? Peter was pretty proud. He shows favor, or in other translations, grace to the humble. And then Peter goes on to say, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Oh man, I bet Peter needed to be lifted up, didn't he? Maybe some of you need to be lifted up this morning. You've been denying him for a long time. Humble yourselves, in God's mighty hand, he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because what? He cares for you because he loves you. Be alert, he says in verse 8, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What did Christ say to Peter in the garden? Be on guard. Be careful so you're not tempted. Peter says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Peter got it. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, Peter says in verse 9, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Then he says in verse 10, and the God of all grace, 
God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. When we look at that statue, I think it's easy to think, boy, Peter made some mistakes there. I look at that statue and go, boy, does Christ love us so much. Boy, does Christ restore us. Boy, does he make us strong, firm, and steadfast. The question for you this morning is, do you love him? He's looking right at you. It's just you and Jesus this morning. Do you love him? Are you prepared? Are you prepared? We come very prepared on Sunday mornings. Are you prepared as we leave this place this morning to go out into the real world? Somebody said to me a few weeks ago that we should put a sign on the doors as we leave the church, uh, welcome to the mission field, or you are now entering the mission field. Because that's where it gets tough. The question is, are you prepared? We prepare on Sunday mornings. Are you prepared throughout the week? Are the mistakes of your past holding you back? Are you putting statues up all over the place as reminders of the things that you've done wrong? And maybe for some of you, maybe just one of you, you've been living your own life the way you wanted to live and you've never, ever said you've loved Jesus. You've never made him the Lord in your life and you've lived the way you wanted to live. He's looking at you right now and he, he loves you. He died for you. He wants you to come to him. It's my greatest joy and hope that you would Put him as the Lord of your life. And as we come to the communion table, we remember what he did for us on the cross, his body broken, his blood shed. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that this encounter is not about Peter, but it's all about you. Thank you for loving us. Father, pray that you be with each and every one of us as We prepare ourselves in season and out of season to stand up for you and and affirm you as our Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that you be with maybe the one or two people in here who have never, ever affirmed you as Lord. They've been denying you their whole life. Father, we know that you're looking at them right now. And church, if that's you, understand that it's just between you and Jesus this morning. And you can simply pray a prayer and he hears you because he loves you. So dear Lord Jesus, I understand that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you for loving me enough to come and die in my place. I ask that you forgive me. Restore me to you. Thank you for being my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I love you unconditionally. And I know you love me as well. Father, be with those folks in this room who may have prayed that prayer this morning, that they feel your love, feel your grace. They feel you looking at them with hearts and eyes full of love. Thank you for today. Be with us as we prepare our hearts now for communion. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus.